Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Katie. And I'm your host, Chris. And this is our podcast. You can find us at cockandcrow.com, where this podcast lives, as well as our blog and our amazing e-course. The e-course is called Reality Rehab, and it's a course for anyone who's ever felt stuck in their relationship, in their crappy job, in their financial situation, basically stuck in anything. Having said all that, welcome to today's podcast. This week we're going to be talking about our relationship, and basically the name of this podcast is going to be, what is it? I know, right? It's, uh, are you ready to hear what your partner doesn't like about you? Yes. (laughs) Juicy. (laughs) What? Oh, we can never decide whose turn it is to talk. So this podcast was inspired by other people's views of our relationship, Um, And one of the common things is just the general disbelief that our relationship is drama-free. And the comments, frequent comments that we get are that we just got lucky, or it's like this because we were friends first for a long time, or some other excuse to kind of let people off the hook of um, having a a very cool relationship just like ours. Um, In some ways, it's insulting. It implies, you know, that we fell into this or we just got lucky or whatever. And in a lot of ways, it's actually totally flattering um, that people see us like that or that they wish they could be in a relationship like ours or whatever. Um, So we wanted to do this podcast to dispel those assumptions because we're really just two people in a long-term relationship just like you. And our relationship is a great priority in our lives, and we don't take it for granted. As such, we make an effort to be very conscious and very transparent Um, What makes it easier for us, I think, is that human nature and human sexuality really just fascinate us. And so we're always learning and always breaking things down to their core. Um, And one of the greatest tools in our relationship kit is the work of David Data, who we talked about in a previous podcast. Um, Which you should totally listen to. Yes. Um, He has what he calls the three stages of relationships, and they're actually pretty brilliant. So we'll kind of go over these three stages. Well, let's do that right now. Okay, so. Um, So stage one is uh, dependence in in the negative sense of the word, though, because depending on someone isn't necessarily a bad thing. But um, I guess a good example of that is just sort of like the 1950s cliche relationship where the woman, you know, needed the man. She, Mm -hmm. like, needed the man for money, um, for status, for protection, and the man needed the woman, you know, to keep the house clean, to raise the kids, for sex. Um, But it wasn't, like, this beautiful, you know, balance where they were, like, both grateful for each other and both respected each other. It was this weird power trip, um, just, just dynamic of of really unhealthy kind of gender roles and, and really unhealthy boundaries and just, you know, we can all picture a relationship like that. It's a fucking mess. Well, and I think the key, the key core of, of the first stage is that it involves two people who aren't really like whole people unto themselves. They, they need, they're codependent. Yeah. They need another person in their life to fully function normally. They can't do that on their own. They can't, they don't feel emotionally healthy. They don't maybe feel financially healthy. They don't, when they come home at night, they just are a mess. They don't feel like they are a complete person. And um, then when they get into a relationship together, it's just a mess. So, so that's, you know, that's kind of how you are as teenagers too. You're just, you know, hyper emotional and just, you know, everything is the end of the world and 
you're jealous and you're fighting and you're, you know, just kind of immature about everything. Um, and then the second stage is what he, David Data calls 50-50, where it's sort of a modern take on the first stage. So it's two whole people coming together mm-hmm. in a relationship and everything's divided 50-50. You know, the the finances are 50-50, the child rearing, the household tasks, you know, everything, um, you know, just this sort of like gender equality whatever, which is great, but it also um, tends to neutralize people, mm-hmm. you know, because you're both just kind of meeting in the middle. No one's no one's animating their super sexy masculine and no one's animating their super radiant feminine. Um, so there's that. And then the third stage is what he calls intimate communion. Um, and this stage is still like kind of hard for me to describe. I wish I had like made a note about this or something, but... But the base, the basis of it is that in intimate communion, your heart is always open. So whether, you know, you've got your feelings hurt or you're jealous or something has come up, your heart stays open. You don't shut down. You don't withdraw. You don't run away. You don't, you know, play any games. You just, even if you're hurt, you're still just like very transparent, very communicative, um, doesn't mean you're not emotional or you're not upset or anything, but you, you know, you remain present, um, instead of running. And so, um, generally too, another, a core element of the third stage is where you're a whole person, but the, the other person in your relationship, um, the dynamic is such that that person can sort of take you beyond, where you can get on your own. Oh, right. No, the concept of like one plus one equals two, that's great and everything. But in intimate communion, two people come together and they take each other to such incredible places that they they couldn't get to on their own. So it's way more than one plus one equals two or whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. like five or six. Or like a hundred. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um. So just kind of as personal examples, we, we both kind of just realized this in, in a conversation earlier, was that we've both been married and divorced just one time each, thankfully. <coughs> and both of our marriages were in the first stage. And so they were both um, super super codependent, both, both of us in our marriages to other people. It's weird to say our marriages. Um, me, in my marriage, I was super needy. I was in just like a totally wrecked, you know, emotional place. And I just like latched on um, to my then husband, you know, just to be my pillar of strength and be my everything and pull me out of it and be my stability and, you know, um, which just kind of wasn't cool. And Chris, maybe... I guess mine was sort of the opposite of that in that I was with somebody who was highly emotionally unstable and mentally unstable. And I was in like a caretaker role a lot of the time. And uh, it there was no balance, no healthy balance at all whatsoever. It was just completely one-sided and awkward and unfortunate, yeah. I guess. <laughs> um, and so... We both got divorced, you know, separately, not, not, you know, unrelated for separate reasons. And then when we um, eventually did come together, we were in stage two, where we came together just as two whole people. You know, we both had our own 
lives and our own, you know, we were just happy. We were happy as we were alone. Mm -hmm. And so we came together just because we wanted to be together, um, which is great. And then at some point, we we learned about David Data and we read about the three stages and we were like, oh, we're in stage two. And mm. stage three was totally just conceptual. We didn't even really get it because um, a lot of the stuff about stage three is a little bit more vague and a little bit hard to understand. And we always kind of wish that we'd had an example of that. Um, and so that's also what kind of inspired this podcast because now we're in stage three and we had a perfect, perfect fight recently that was a great example of being in stage three, and we wanted to share it, um, if nothing else, just to show how much easier it is to deal with conflict in stage three um, and to show that it's achievable for anybody. And we're here because we did the work. We and did the work. you can too. We're awesome fighters. Awesome fighters. <laughs> um, so I guess we were just going to sort of outline the fight because it... it it will just kind of make more sense. Sure. Um, so it started with me. I had a super sexy dream, and I woke up in the morning, and I told Chris about it. And the sexy dream was about him, too, which was kind of cool. Um, and told him, you know, I was feeling super turned on and and whatever. So we had a little moment, you know, in the morning. But then he got up and, you know, started making coffee and whatever. And I was like, um, did I not just make it clear I wanted to fuck <laughs> i had a sex dream about you like but i was like okay that's fine like you know maybe he just needs coffee first Every, you know i can't expect him to just like drop what he's doing and like be in the same mental place i am okay maybe coffee no he has the coffee and then we make breakfast okay maybe he just needs breakfast no after breakfast he gets on his laptop and he starts like working on this work problem and I'm like, okay, maybe he just, like, needs to get this one work thing out of the way. Like, you know, just so he can, like, fully relax. So I'm just, like, I'm still horny. So I'm still just being patient because, you know, whatever. But then, like, some hours go by. And I'm like, okay, this is stupid. Like, I'm getting frustrated. <laughs> and so the old me, like, would have just given him the silent treatment. And would have just, like, silently punished him for, like, not reading my mind or, you know, not giving me what I needed or whatever. Uh, and what? I, oh. <laughs> I totally was, like, oblivious to a lot of this. I, I mean, I, I remember, you know, we had the conversation when she woke up. But I kind of felt like I had to get a couple of things done. And then I felt like, you know, a half hour later that the moment had passed. Like, I had sort of missed the opportunity. And so I was just going to keep on going with what I was doing and get my work done, and, you know, we'll try again next time. But we didn't communicate that to each other, and it turned out we were in wildly different places. Right. So I just sat down next to him, you know, and was like, close your fucking laptop. Like, I'm, I got my feelings hurt. You know, I feel a little bit rejected. And um, so I just, you know, kind of started – we sort of just had that same conversation. Like, mm -hmm. I told him how I felt. He told me how he felt. But it didn't make anything better. We were both just kind of sitting there. He was feeling bad. I was kind of feeling rejected. Wasn't like we were going to go and fuck then because that was just like weird energy. <laughs> and then we just kind of realized that we kind of hadn't been having a lot of sex lately. And we kind of had been not ignoring each other, but just sort of taking for granted, you know, little little moments that, that we'd had that we didn't act on or, or whatever. And... Um, it seems like we were always out of sync. We were right? always out of sync. And so we just kind of started talking about that. Um, 
And then eventually we decided we needed to take a walk or something because we have this thing, and I'm sure you guys can relate, where it's like, okay, we're sitting in this space, you know, in our home, and we've just kind of like had a fight or had like an unfortunate conversation. And so we need to like move the energy and like get it, you know, get out of here because we can't, it's just like hanging heavy in the air. Mm -hmm. So we consciously were like, okay, let's, you know, let's walk down to the pool. So we walked down to the pool, and um, and it was great. It did move the energy. It was great to be outside of the space that we had had a fight in. And um, we just kind of started to break it down. And one of the first things we did was like, okay, since we're not having a lot of sex, why like why are we not attracted to each other so much mm-hmm. in this moment? You could chalk it up to, oh, we've been together for, you know, years now and whatever, but I just, I don't accept that, and neither does Chris. And so it was like, it's we're not just going to go on autopilot and be like, oh, well, we'll just miss the great early days of our relationship. We're not just going to assume that this is just how it is now because we've been together for so long. Right. Yeah. And so he was like, okay, well, what what could I do to turn you on more, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting because we didn't so much focus on what each of us was actively doing to turn the other person off. I don't know if we just didn't, um, it was just our natural inclination to be more positive. So he was like, what can I do to turn you on? And I was like, well, you know, you work from home and sometimes you will sit on your laptop working for fucking hours and not look up not get up you're just like this lump on the couch in front of your computer and I was like it would be great if like even once an hour you got up and like did three minutes of yoga or you came and found me for a kiss or you you know made yourself a smoothie or went outside and got some fresh air or just you know did something that was a little more active that showed that you you know, valued your well-being and, you know, whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. That was sort of the basis of what he could do to turn me on. And then I asked her, you know, or wait. No, well, I asked you. (laughs) She asked me, I was like, and and I was nervous. It wasn't like, I was like, oh, God, he's going to say, well, whatever. I was scared, you know. So I thought about it, and I really just kind of came up with a few sort of simple things. Um, mainly, she, you know, when she's, she also obviously works from home, and when she's around the house, she's always very busy and up and doing stuff all the time. But she usually just wears, like, the rattiest, dirtiest, stained, <laughs> baggy old T-shirt and, like, ratty old underwear and just looks like a homeless person as she walks around the house all day. And it's just, like, <laughs> so not flattering because she's an attractive person. But in that outfit, like, no one would be attractive. And so I just was like, honestly, if you just wore maybe a cuter t-shirt you know and some cuter underwear or like washed your hair yeah like (laughs) that's really it like i would be all over you all the time watching you walk around the house like that and it's not even like she had to get all dolled up and put on a bunch of makeup and you know do her hair and put all this effort into it it was just kind of she's going to be putting clothes on anyway instead of putting on the rattiest shirt why not put on a cuter tank top i mean that was really all there was to it it wasn't 
wasn't like anything major that she had to change. And so... Well, so then we were like laughing because I was like, oh my God, this is so classic because my shit for him wasn't physical. It was like, I need you to be more active, more masculine. I need you to be doing more. And his was like all about, I it just need you purely, to look cuter. purely aesthetic, yeah. which was really funny, but it's totally how men and women are. Like yeah. men are absolutely all about visual and what looks good and... Women are all, all about, about the man's direction yeah. and the man's action and the man's, you know, physical, s- whatever. So it was perfectly fitting, but it was so true. And, and really, it's funny how simple it really was. Um, well, and it was also kind of nice, too, because we realized that our foundation is pretty solid because all the stuff that we were like, what could turn you on more? It was all pretty superficial, you know, for lack of a better word. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't like, oh, you know, your religious beliefs or who (laughs) you voted for or whatever, you know, it was nothing about like our core, who we are at our core as people. It was all just these kind of silly physical things. Um, and it also made us think about why we hadn't said that to each other, you know, earlier, why it took us having this fight and, and, you know, whatever, And we sort of realize that it's a lot of social programming. Like, we sort of as a whole, just in general as people, we're made to feel bad for desiring physical appeal because supposedly that makes us shallow. Um, Sort of like how we're not supposed to be materialistic. You know, we're supposed to appreciate the simple things in life and blah, blah, blah. Um, And really, isn't it just human nature to to appreciate, you know, something beautiful? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and how simple it is to do that. I also think that in the beginning of a relationship, you do all that stuff naturally. You look cute, you're clean, you don't burp, you don't fart, you know, and it's not even like you're trying. It's not even like you're actively like not farting. Like the first, on the first, you know, 10 dates, you like probably couldn't let out a fart if you wanted to just, (laughs) you know, just because you're like operating from such a different place. But then slowly, you know, now you're committed, now you're together, now it's been years, whatever. And out of nowhere, you kind of realize how far you've come from all that. Um, And it's not about faking it or being somebody you're not um, or anything like that. It's just about, you know, getting kind of lazy and thinking that that stuff doesn't matter anymore. Um, When it totally does. When it totally does. And... And sort of, you know, you realize, oh, there's less fire, there's less attraction, there's less sex. Um, And then you probably start to make a huge deal out of that. Um, But really, what if it's just that simple? You know, Mm -hmm. what if it's just a handful of things you could put just the tiniest little bit more effort into, you know? Um, So it made us think if most people could really be honest with each other about why they're not fucking, you know, they probably could fix it. But most people don't want to hear that. Most people... No. Most people think um, the reason that they're not honest is because, of course, there's the risk that the reason that you're not being honest is a much bigger deal. Like be, like maybe you're a shitty parent or you've let yourself go or you're totally depressed or you complain about your job and don't do anything about it, but... Even if those 
are bigger issues, I mean, wouldn't you want to know those too? Wouldn't you want to actually have a conversation about what's really going on and, and like kind of get into the meat of it instead of just going through this stupid sort of charade and not having sex and having your relationship just kind of drift apart because you don't want to have that conversation. Um, and you just chalk it up to, oh, we've been together for 15 yeah. years or, oh, we've got kids now or, oh, this or, oh, that, you know? Yeah. Um, and what if it's just a little bit of, you know, conscious effort? And obviously, if you're not in a place where, just like this podcast is titled, are you ready to hear what your partner doesn't like about you? If you're not in that place, you know, just back up a little and just, I don't know, maybe take some of the advice that we gave or, you know, pick up David Data's book or go and, you know, get a body talk session and clear some of that shit out or just, you know... Just basically know that, like, a little humility will go a long way. Like, just listening to what somebody has to say about you constructively is really the only way people can grow. I mean, if you're so uptight that you you can't hear that someone thinks that you're doing something poorly, then, I mean, come on. That's just ridiculous, you know? <laughs> well, yeah. And, I mean, because, like I said, I was nervous when I was like, oh, fuck, now he's going to say, now it's my turn to hear what he doesn't like about me. Um and easily, I could have been like, well, fuck you. You know, I shouldn't, it shouldn't matter what I wear. I shouldn't have to, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, like, why get defensive? Like, he's just saying he doesn't like my ratty t-shirt. Yeah. What well, it isn't, I mean, it's not even like, oh, don't I want to please him bad enough? But it's like, that's all. He just wants me to wear cuter panties and, you know, walk around the house in a cuter shirt. Maybe not burp so much. Yeah. Like, you know. I can do that, you know? <laughs> it's And that's really all it takes. I mean, I mean, sure. I'm sure there's plenty of relationships out, uh, relationships out there where there's a lot more going on and it's a lot more deep-seated. But, I mean, you kind of have to start somewhere. And we started somewhere. Like yeah. we said, our relationship was fucking not like this right out of the gate. Like, we would have, you know, hysterical crying fights, and I would, you know, call my friend Danielle and be like, you need to come over right now, because, you know, talk us down out of this whatever. (laughs) Um, You know, we we were your average mess. We were two divorced people bringing some baggage, and, you know... But instead of just kind of brushing it all under the rug, we just like dealt with everything as it came up and peeled away the layers and peeled away the layers and peeled away the fucking layers. And it sucked. It sucked. But we did it. Yeah. But now we made that great investment. And so now we can just have a simple little conversation that's like, hey, wear a cuter t-shirt and magically we'll fuck more. Yeah. You know? So it's like, isn't it worth it? Isn't it worth it to like get to that place where you can, you know just have those really fantastic productive conversations yeah and and that's that's all there is to your relationship maintenance and i think another thing too is just you know we really try to make a conscious effort to sort of stay positive throughout the conversation because obviously focusing on the focusing on the negative isn't going to get isn't going to move the conversation forward in a healthy way it's just going to kind of keep you running in circles and so if you can just kind of check yourself whenever it starts to go south and, you know, stop, maybe even take a break if you have to, um, and come back to it and, you know, always try to like reapproach it from a positive place. Um, I, then things will 
slowly start to work themselves out and they always do um or or they don't and you know yeah. you break up and move on yeah but... or you realize that you're just not really ultimately compatible yeah but, but well, i guess one could argue too isn't isn't that sort of better than just staying on autopilot yeah absolutely you know, for 20 years or, or whatever yeah maybe it's not i mean that's just our opinion yeah whatever but so that's that's pretty much it we pretty much just wanted to share that <laughs> that sort of concrete you know example of how we operate um and sort of how we came to be that way and maybe inspire some of you guys out there to have some interesting, heartfelt, hard uh, conversations. Definitely. Thanks for listening. Yes, thanks everyone. We're going to link to all the David Data shit and and all of that. and um, Read David Data. It'll save your, your whole life and your whole relationship. Seriously. It's, it's just, yeah. Yeah. Do it now. Okay, do it right now. Go okay. order the books on Amazon. Do it through our affiliate link so we get money. (laughs) Okay, thanks. Bye.